Welcome to the Ringer NBA Podcast. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Tuesday, and for the first time in 2017, Kevin O'Connor from the Ringer. What's up, Kev? Happy New Year, Chris. Happy New Year. Did you get your, we have not spoken since prior to Christmas, did you get your uh, soundproofing uh, materials that you had, <laughs> that you no. had asked for? No, I, I'm not, I haven't gotten on that yet, Chris. No? Soon enough, though. Did, did you get anything for Christmas, Kevin? No, just just like I said on, the, on that podcast, just the little things. That's what matters. And I was in Houston. That was fun. You did go to Houston, and you wrote an article, which is up today at TheRinger.com. The Houston Experiment, uh, the player-coach-GM trio of James Harden, Mike D'Antoni, and Daryl Morey seem made for one another, and that's because they needed one another. And then you took an inside look at their start of the season. All right, so you go down to Houston, and you're going to try to find out what's what with everything that has gone on with the Rockets and this transformation that they have uh, taken on this year uh, after, you know, they had made the West Finals, then they had had that miserable season last year, and now it reinvented themselves into something that we have never seen before. Um, biggest takeaways from just being there, being around them, and listening to them talk about this new look Rockets. Yeah, so you know, going down there, obviously you go kind of with a plan of what what I'm going to write about, and obviously, obviously going to touch on the three point shooting, um, the the historic rate they're attempting threes at, and and their style of play, which you mentioned is really unique. But really, my my takeaway is just the chemistry this team has. I mean, the guys love each other. Um, they really get along. Uh, just hearing the way Ryan Anderson talks about Eric Gordon, the way Eric Gordon talks about Ryan Anderson, the way D'Antoni just loves the way the guys click together. You know, he he's had said something along the lines of like, "We have good guys, we have tough guys, we have nice guys," and all the guys get along. It's it's a really good mix, which is kind of the opposite of what they had last year. Um, with Dwight Howard, so it's, it's a sudden change, and for them, they're they're one of the best teams in the NBA, and I think they're a legit contender, not just because of their talent, but because of their chemistry they have. Well, what was really interesting, two things. First of all, I saw that Houston team in person several times last year, and it was just totally bizarre. Like they, when you talk about chemistry, they lacked all chemistry. Like they wouldn't even like talk to each other when they were headed back to the huddles and whatnot, and. Yeah. And it was so bizarre because they had, you know, you figured they had they had come back from that 3-1 deficit. They had made the West Finals. So it wasn't like this, uh, you know, a big group of them had had success. And so when Daryl Morey was on the Ringer podcast, people could go back and listen to this in retrospect. But one of my first guests on this podcast was Daryl Morey. And when I asked him about it, he kept going back to Ty Lawson and basically saying, I screwed up. I should have never put him in the mix. It screwed things up. And then what was odd is I uh, I had Corey Brewer on a couple of weeks ago, and he kind of talked about how uh, the, why the, the Lawson thing didn't work and that he needed the ball and Harden needed the ball. And then one thing that I had not really thought of, which was that the Lawson thing and then kept the, uh, them trying to stick that square peg into a round hole, one of the effects was they all love Beverly. And I didn't even consider that, right? That he's like the heartbeat of that team. And so the Lawson thing affected him, right? That was his spot. And so I think there was probably some resent from that. And just the, it was just crazy to see a team that made the West Finals then become what they became last year and then fire McHale after what, like 
couple weeks into the season. It's like it 11 all, games. Yeah, it was all a mess. So now they're going to reinvent themselves. And your biggest questions for them going into the article, what were you thinking? Uh, oh, you mean like um, what did I want to come yeah, away yeah, with? Yeah, or? yeah. You wanted to come away with like, are, are were you most interested in the Harden side of it, the D'Antoni side of it, the 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 Moray side of it? Yeah. So it was kind of really uh, a look at how they got to where they are today. So D'Antoni's background, Daryl Morey's background, um, where they are, and kind of where they're going. Um, What's the potential, the ripple effects of the season that they're having? Um, I don't necessarily think NBA teams are going to start jacking up threes at a 46% clip like they are. Um, but I do think what they do is different. And I think there's definitely something to be, to, to be learned from what they do. And I, I think, you know, looking back in NBA history, that was kind of one of the points of the article is they're not the only team ever to to launch threes at a higher rate. So, for example, Stan Van Gundy's Orlando Magic launched threes at like 12% higher than the average team at the time. Um, so, obviously, they didn't they didn't put up 46 percent of their shots weren't threes, but in their respective seasons, they were still doing it at a similar rate. Um, the 0203 Celtics, the team that had Antoine Walker, Paul Pierce, they put up like eight threes a game, each of them. They actually shot more threes per game relative to the rest of the league in their season 15 years ago. So it's it, teams just haven't done it at the level that the, the Rockets have. That's one of the things D'Antoni stressed to me when I talked to him, and the next day he was asked a similar question, is that with his son's teams, they they had the idea of wanting to do what the Rockets are doing now, but they just didn't have the, the analytics backing it up. So now that there, there's just like a perfect storm of analytics and basketball philosophy, I think at the time we're right, we're at now in the NBA, and we're seeing it with the Rockets and with some other teams, just to a little bit of a lesser extent. You know, old school guys are going to do the whole live by the three, die by the three, yeah. jump shooting teams, and we do know there's more half court basketball, and it does slow down more when it gets to the playoffs, right? Yep. Just your thoughts on is this sustainable for? high-level playoff basketball, or is this going to be one of those where people are going to point and laugh and say, ha-ha, see, told you, <laughs> that's all fun during the regular season. When you get to the playoffs, you got to you know, you know, be able to post up, and you got to be able to do this, and you got to be able to do that, and when the game slows down, and there's going to be nights where you're just not hitting threes, and so you are uh, susceptible to loss. What do you think? Is this style of play, can this style of play win the biggest prize now? So there, there's two sides of that, Chris. I think for one, and this is something we kind of uh, kind of alluded to in the article on the Ringer, was that they have the, the second most efficient half court scoring offense. So I, I have no question that they're going to be able to sustain their offense when it comes to the playoffs because they've shown in the half court when the game does slow down and it becomes a half court game that they can still score at a ridiculously high level. The other side of that is obviously the defensive end. Um, you need to be able to get stops, right? Uh, I think there, there's two parts of that. For one, they're going to score a lot of points, so they're they're not going to be put into transition situations, which for any team 
is is where you're going to get burnt the most. So they're going to have a lot of half court situations just due to the fact that they score a lot. And not only that, they've been really really good defending in the half court. According to Synergy, they they allow the 11th least points per possession in the half court. So will they sustain that? I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. It's it's really difficult to project ahead with that. But at this stage of the season and what we've seen, I think they have a borderline top 10 half-court defense, a borderline top 10 defense period overall. So if, if they sustain that, I have no doubt that they can have success in the playoffs. It's just a matter of do they sustain it come April, May, and June. We'll see what happens there. But I, I do think that at this stage, they're in a good spot. Yeah, championship-level teams are usually, you know, they got top 10 and, and, and frequently top 5 in both, right? Offensive and defensive yeah. efficiency. They are, as it stands right now, 16th in defensive efficiency um, overall. So they're middle of the pack in, in defense right now. And I do wonder if the style of play, you know, it's kind of like a football team. Like, and you saw this a lot more in college where it's, you know, the teams that play really up-tempo and really fast – they, if it doesn't succeed, it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on their defense, right? Because mm-hmm. they are, they're just sending them right back out to the field. They're, you know, they went, they went three and out. It took nine seconds off the clock, and then their poor defense has to get back out on the field. Now, when it, when it does work, they're flying up and down the field and having two minute drives. And I do wonder if some of it is, you know, it's hard to have an amazing defense. If you play that way, because inevitably you are going to miss and it puts a lot of pressure on your on yourself. Right. No, absolutely. And I think I think that's the argument. Um, Someone commented on the article somewhere about how, you know, come playoff time, the Spurs are going to still kill them because the Spurs are a far superior defensive team. And maybe that's true. Maybe that will happen um, for the reasons you outlined, like with football. But I still think the Rockets are, are different this year. This feels different to me, and, and I'm really excited to see if it does continue to translate. What about D'Antoni or D'Antoni? Just being around him, what were your thoughts? <laughs> for, for one, he's a really nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the first thing I asked him was about his brother's comments. Um, if people didn't see that, essentially, Dan D'Antoni is a coach in college, and and he was asked about feeding the posts. Uh, and and he gave a long rambling response in which he said, "I didn't finish my damn analytics story yet." <laughs> and, and, and he just went through the numbers, right, about how the post up is a low efficiency shot. And so I asked Mike D'Antoni about that, and he basically said, "Sometimes you're just feeling good. Sometimes you get the podium and you just let it go." And we did talk a little bit more about that in the sense that. They run a lot of pick and roll, and in his mind, why do anything else if it's so tough to stop because of their diverse attack with James Harden, who can score from any level, can make any pass with their off-ball shooters, Eric Gordon, Trevor Ariza, with their rim-running centers, with Ryan Anderson. They have an incredible pick and roll attack, and I think they know how to use their, they know how to use their pieces and kind of, uh, I guess traditional ways of the pick and roll but they also get creative with the type of attacks that they use and I think I think there's an understanding at all levels with Daryl Morey in terms of assembling the personnel Mike D'Antoni how to use that personnel and the players buying into their roles that has really put them at the level that they are there's just buy-in everywhere I thought it was interesting that uh that Morey basically told you that they had coveted Ryan Anderson that that was a guy that had been on their radar for a long time yeah, he, I mean, he said they tried to 
it was at the introductory press conference. He mentioned that they tried to get him before, and I asked him about that, and he said they've been obsessed with Ryan Anderson for a long time. And the interesting part is Ryan Anderson said to me that he and James Harden have actually talked about playing together for quite a while now. So obviously Harden himself obviously saw the potential potency of their combination, and they, they've just been terrific. It's, well, I- it's really hard to stop. As has Gordon, who has been yeah. fantastic this year. And you've seen recently Harden and Anderson, another stump for him as a as an all-star candidate. That Eric Gordon could be an all-star. Um, the, one of the major things is clearly those guys have both been injury-riddled, Anderson and Gordon. So health is number one. Number two, they're in a great spot fit-wise. But what do you make of the whole Eric Gordon should be an all-star? <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know if he'll make the all-star team, but I can see why his teammates are, are pushing for him. And with, with their vote now in the all-star game, I'm sure they, they will give him their vote. I mean, he's not going to make the all-star team, but hey, sixth man of the year? He's been unbelievable. Uh, I had a stat in the article that when, when James Harden is off the floor, obviously they need a guy to take on that playmaking responsibility, to take on that scoring responsibility. And Eric Gordon has just been unbelievable. Uh, in about He plays about eight to nine minutes per game without Harden. And in, in those eight to nine minutes, he averages 29.2 points per 36 minutes. So he suddenly becomes the superstar level scorer in the time he's playing without James Harden. And then he's able to still revert back into more of his spot-up role when he's playing with Harden. And there's not enough you can say about a guy who, with two drastically different types of roles, is still playing at essentially an all-star level. He's not putting up all-star numbers overall, but he's playing at that level, shooting over 42% from three, passing the ball well. He's playing the best basketball of his career right now. And, And you mentioned... Brian Anderson earlier with Eric Gordon too. They're just two perfect fits for the D'Antoni offense, and it's really exciting to watch. Yeah, guy finally finds his. He finally finds his place. Eric Gordon, you know, it, there's guys like him, and you just wonder what would have been if if they would have ended up somewhere different, right? He's mm. just on bad teams, the Clippers team, and then of course he was part of the Paul trade and the New Orleans team. I mean, it's not like you remember these big playoff exploits the guy's been in the league for a long time right and like he finally just kind of has found a spot and people are now taking notice of him um it just it's another it's another one of those like you know so much of your nba career is dependent upon like opportunity and fit and just where you ended up and so i don't know well you look at guys like eric gordon and you wonder i mean i loved him at indiana didn't you i thought he was going to be i thought he was going to be a really good pro when he came out in that loaded draft um but it just never i mean i mean it's now he's having his best season we're years down the road yeah yeah that's one thing Maury kind of alluded to is um so with gordon and anderson they were kind of hidden he you know for multiple reasons, the main one being their their injury history. Right. Uh, but he said in their in their research with them, they think most of those were just one off injuries. They don't think they're chronic injuries. So they feel confident that based on what the research they did before signing them is that they're going to be fine. And you, you could say the same thing about Mike D'Antoni too. Mike D'Antoni was a little bit hidden from the league for a while. Uh, Maury mentioned how he had. Poor personnel fits in New York and LA, but 
he's obviously been very, very good when he has had good personnel fits. And he did for a short while with the Knicks when Carmelo Anthony was out hurt and Lynn Sanity was happening. Uh, they had Jeremy Lin, Amari Stoudemire, Tyson Chandler. They had, they had a good team, a good team for a short while until obviously things imploded there and Dan Tony resigned. Um, but he's had success when he's had good personnel fits and he has a perfect perfect personnel fit here in Houston because they've been able to get guys who have been a little bit overlooked Anderson and Gordon so they they did a really good job putting this team together all right last thing on this uh on this on this rockets article which people could go read at uh, the ringer.com by Kevin O'Connor uh how high do they get? Let's say the Warriors are, you know, prohibitive favorite to be the number one seed. Do you think we could look up and Houston, who is a game back from San Antonio for the two seed, at the, when it's all said and done, what seed do you think Houston ends up with? <laughs> um, I think they'll. I think they'll end up the two seed. You do? Yeah. You think they'll surpass? Uh, they'll surpass the Spurs by the time it's all said and done. Yeah, I do. And and plus, you got to factor in that. Greg Popovich is going to rest his guys probably more than the Rockets are going to rest their guys. Gotcha. Quick break for a word of our sponsors, and when we come back, we'll give you five storylines headed into 2017. The Ringer NBA Show is brought to you by Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of their customers. So Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys that were fed up with getting ripped off, started Harry's to fix shaving. Harry's knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. By taking less profit and selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's offers their blades at half the price. Just $2 a blade compared to the $4 or more you pay at a drugstore. Harry's razors include everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. I use Harry's and it is the best. Weighted ergonomic handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade. They got shave gel, they've got travel blade covers, and Harry's is so confident in the quality of the blades, they want you to try their shave for free. You heard that right. Just cover shipping when you sign up. Plus, as a special offer to fans of the show, go to harrys.com right now and enter the code NBA at checkout and get a post-shave balm also free. That That's harrys.com code NBA. All right, Kevin, let's talk about five different storylines headed into 2017. We'll just go through these one by one. Most teams are 33 to 35 games played so far. All right, so number one storyline, can anyone challenge the Cavs or the Warriors? Both, uh, you know, when we started this season, people were like, why don't we just fast forward to the finals, (laughs) right? Um, But now from what you have, from what we have seen, do you think, all right, which of those is more susceptible, and can anyone challenge either of them? Um, by challenge, I assume you don't mean beat, right? You yeah, mean like no, take I'm him saying, the six, take no, him the seven. No, no, I'm gonna. I'm saying, is there any chance that that's not the NBA Finals? <sighs> uh, I mean, I want to say yeah, there's a chance because there's always a chance. But assuming good health. Assuming you know LeBron doesn't turn his ankle or whatever, I, I think there's a really, really high percent chance still that that's the finals. Um, I'm tell you that, so, I, I think I think the Warriors would be more susceptible than the Cavs. Well, they have a tougher path too. I mean, I think there's more more chances along the way that they'll just enter a 
cold streak, and for whatever reason, they, they might lose to a team. Uh, so I would agree with you in the, in the sense that even though they might be a better team, that they definitely are more susceptible to losing in the playoffs. Well, we saw a team get them down 3-1 last year and, let, <laughs> yeah. and let them off the hook, right? Yep. And I don't. Yep. Do you think this Warriors team's better than last year's? Yeah, they have Kevin Durant. Yeah, I know, but their their bench is not. When they yeah, it's in, not. I but, used to. I when I, that's maybe that's just me. I just felt like watching them last year that there would be games where they'd bring in Barbosa and Mo Spates and Livingston and whatever, and like their bench could bury you too. It doesn't feel like that now. Sometimes it feels like they got to get by, right? But that bench. Rarely comes in and just it packs it. You know what I mean? They the the starters would go out and they'd be up by sixteen, and then by the time the starters would come back in, maybe they would never come back in. Right? Look how many. Remember how many fourth quarters Curry didn't even play last year? <laughs> he wasn't even playing in the fourth quarter. No, you're games. right. You're right. And so it, I don't know. I get that they've got Kevin Durant, but I also felt like they were more dominant. Last year, well, hell, they won seventy three games, so that's not a it's <laughs> not a reach to say. I don't know. I just kind of feel like there's a lot of good teams in the West, and I don't think. I mean, good grief! I don't know who could, unless there's like a big trade. I don't know who could really even challenge the Cavs. I would think it's more likely for the the Warriors to get taken to a seventh game in a series than the Cavs right now. The thing is with the Warriors, though, is in the playoffs, Green, Curry, Thompson, Durant, Iguodala, those guys are all going to be playing like right. high 30s, 40 minutes per game. So so the, the bench, the bench's importance is going to be diminished come that's playoff right. time. And and that that's kind of just the thing for me is right now, yeah, the be- having a worse bench definitely hurts them, but come playoff time. I don't know if it's going to matter. <laughs> they're right. they're going to have their superstars on the floor the entire damn game. And I just mm-hmm. have a hard time seeing anybody stopping them unless they just enter a stretch where they just aren't clicking and the other team is firing on all cylinders. Maybe that'll be the Spurs. Maybe it'll be the Rockets. I don't really see another team in the West that could beat them. Um, that's, that's fair. I, I, will, yeah. I will just say this. I'm just... I'm praying for competition, Kevin. I'm trying here. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you, you know, you're you're right. You're right, and, and I think. But that's the thing. Like, if a series goes six, yep, that is competition, no, right? right? I mean, I think that is challenging the team in the playoffs. Yeah, that, that's for sure. All right, like, so we still right now. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I obviously you'd have to pick it to still be the finals, but I, I kind of. I'm starting to feel like maybe somebody could pick the Warriors off. Maybe that's just maybe that's just a fool's errand. Um, all right, number two storyline: Who gets traded? Everybody's been buzzing about Millsap. Yeah, I mean Millsap. I, I think I think Atlanta would be wise to move him. I think they made the mistake last year of asking for too much for Al Horford. They were they were in a different situation last year. Yeah, but uh, last year they were asking at least from the Celtics they wanted the Nets pick which ended up being the number three pick. They're obviously not going to get anything close to that for Paul Millsap, but I think they have to take what they can get. They're about to enter a transition phase uh, in their franchise, and maybe that'll mean tearing it down. Maybe that'll mean also trading a guy like Kyle Korver. Because, look, any, any contending team would love to have Kyle Korver on their team. So I, I think I think they have good pieces on their team, but it might be da- time to tear it down. But, you know, you mentioned Paul Millsap, but is, is there really a superstar, a superstar that could be traded? I mean, everybody no. talks about DeMarcus Cousins, but 
and, and you could argue like we have we've talked about before that they should trade him, but they're the eight seed right now. Uh, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, the Pacers and Bulls are sliding, but are they going to really trade their guys? I don't think so. So I don't know if we're going to see a superstar dealt, but maybe we'll see the Paul Millsaps and the Andrew Bogut's of the world yeah, moving the Al- moving teams. The Atlanta Journal Constitution, uh, you know, their latest reporter that Mills or that Millsap is not getting moved, even though his you know his yeah, name's been right. buzzed about everywhere. They are saying they're not getting rid of their. You know their best player, but then there was the other reports, right, that have happened recently that said they're scared of not getting anything for him, right? Because he's got free agency, and so that he, right, like they they're not shopping him, but they don't want to lose him for nothing. And Millsap, he feels like a needle mover for a team. Like I, I think if he got in the right fit, you know, like they were talking about Toronto. I mean, that's a game changer, don't you think? If Toronto was adding Millsap and you're throwing <laughs> Lowry, DeRozan, and Millsap in a starting lineup at, at somebody? Yeah, I, he, I mean, he's a game changer, but is he a series changer? Is he Would he put the Raptors over the top of the Cavaliers? I, I don't think so. I don't think he would put the Celtics over the Cavaliers, or, you know, I don't think, I don't think he would. Um, I, I don't think if a team out West's got him, I don't think, like, let's say the Rockets got him or whatever. I don't think that that would put the Rockets over the Warriors. Uh, I, I know, I know it wouldn't. And, you know, here's the thing with Millsap is he's, he's going to be 32 next month. Um, and obviously, like you mentioned, he's going to be a free agent and he's going to get a max contract this summer, I would assume. So what do you really want to give for him? That That's kind of my big question, considering the fact that he also hasn't been quite as efficient as a scorer this year. Uh, I just have a hard time if I'm a GM of a contending team. I have a hard time, I think, giving up a lot of assets for him, knowing that he might help, but he might not put us over the top. And the fact that he's a free agent, and the fact that he's going to be 32, so he's yeah. a tough guy. Well, you because you would you'd have a big decision in the off season anyway. Yeah, right. You, yeah. If you're trading for him, then you are dedicating that we're we're going to ride out Millsap for the next. You know, whatever, four years, and we're going to well, pay him a hundred million dollars. Well, it depends on what you trade for him, too. You, yeah. could, you, if you get him on the cheap, I think you'll, you're fine with making your run with him. And then, if you don't want to pay him, you don't pay him. But if you got to give up like a first round pick and a, and a top prospect, and then another future pick or something like that, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want if I'd want to do it uh, unless I really, really feel like he puts my team over the top. Yeah. Well, how much of Millsap's year is because of everything changing so much in Atlanta? I mean, he was an outstanding player on a team that won 60 games in the NBA just a few yeah. years ago, right? Yeah. And how much is it just, you know, it's it's not a great fit anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that Atlanta team's been a disappointment, I think it's fair to say. No, you're you're totally right. And yeah. and look, his efficiency could easily easily skyrocket yeah. if a team like the Raptors or Celtics or I don't know who else. Uh, a, t- a contending team were to get him, I think his I think he his efficiency would improve. But I st- I still can't get over the the fact he'll be 32 and a free agent this summer who will probably get a max contract. That those are the tough things for me to get over. Why do you hate Paul Millsap? I love Paul Millsap. <laughs> I, I, I do. I, 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 no, for real. I, I loved Paul Millsap. I think like 
0809. Uh, I forget who was he playing behind that year, but I, I remember watching the Jazz thinking, man, this Paul Millsap dude is really, really good. And that was before he could like shoot threes and stuff. I mean, he's he's had a really good career. I'm I'm, I'm glad that he's reached the level that he has. Well, then stop besmirching him. Let this, <laughs> let, let this man get hey, his man, money. Hey, I'm, man, I'm fair. I'm fair. Yeah, I understand. All right, <laughs> any, any, anybody else that we think, I mean, Millsap was an intriguing name just because he's been an all-star caliber player in the NBA. Um, there has not been as much buzz yet. It feels like it's going to amp up pretty soon, though. Like, you know, uh, when you're hearing names, it's like, you know, I don't know. You read the reports, Costa Kufus and the Rockets and, like, you know, this guy's getting dangled, Rondo. If they could, like, who the hell's going to trade for Rajon Rondo? Like, what? <laughs> that one yeah. was out there. Um, you know, I saw Harrison Barnes' name. I thought that one was interesting, right? If you're... You mentioned Rondo. Uh, I don't want to like shit on Rondo, but who who would trade for him? I, I mean, is, is, is there a team in the NBA that would trade for Rajon Rondo? Knowing no. the fact, like his personality, um, it's still obvious. I think his desire probably to be a starter. Knowing the fact that he's hasn't accepted a straight up bench role, even though he's handling this well. To be fair, um, I think I think if he if he was accepting of the fact that he's now a a fringe uh, bench player, I think. I'd be a little bit more willing to trade for him, but considering his history, I don't know if you want that in a backup point guard. And I just don't see a team that's going to make him a starter. Or you go down the list, there's there's really not a team that would do that. Like you could put him on the worst team in the NBA, and they would still probably want to start the guy that they have. The Nets are aren't going to start Rondo over Jeremy Lin. The Sixers probably aren't starting Rajon Rondo over Ben Simmons. You know what I mean? I don't see yep. a team in the NBA where he's a starter. Alright, let's get to some of these teams. Like uh, The teams that, as we get closer to uh, to the All-Star break trade deadline, etc. Uh, the teams that are just going to say, alright, forget it. We're in a rebuild mode. And who you could poach off of them. Um, Bledsoe with the Suns? You know what yeah. I mean? Could you go? Could you go snag Bledsoe? I do think I'm just trying to see on the ratty teams who would like really move the needle if they went somewhere else. Um, and it feels like Bledsoe would for the Suns. I don't know. I mean, I don't know who else on their roster. Like they're not going to trade. You know, they're going to keep the young guys, right? They're going to keep the guys like the the Devin Booker's uh, and the oh uh, T.J. Warren, right? But. Bledsoe, Brandon Knight, any interest in him? He's having yeah. a bad year. If, if, I, if I were Phoenix, I'd definitely look to move Bledsoe or, or Knight. And they they have Tyler Tyler Eulis. I'd like to see him get more playing time towards the end of the season. He's been he's been solid when he's received opportunity, especially the past week. He's he's a little guy, only five foot ten, but that dude is a really really smart, intelligent point guard, really quick, great shooter. I'd like to see them move Bledsoe or Knight in order to get Eulis more playing time and opportunity because he can be a good point guard for a long time. I'd love to see Bledsoe. I'd love to see him on a good team. Really. Um you know, I mean, even when he was in the, in that first contract with the Clippers, I mean, he flipped playoff series when, when that was the Vinny Del Negro era Clippers. But I mean, I I watched him single handedly flip a series against the Grizzlies, where like they you couldn't even get the ball past half court against a guy half the time. He was so he was such a menace, and he's just like it's just being lost. Right, the 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 Bledsoe stuff. It's it's kind of sad because he's, he's averaging twenty points a game, but that team is atrocious. What about Dallas? Anybody there? If you're if you're if you're if you're going to be Bogut. sellers, Bogut. 
Bogut? Andrew Bogut. I'd want him on my team if I need rim protection and rebounding. I don't yeah. care about the injuries. I don't. I don't think he would. I mean, we we talked earlier about Millsap, who I think would probably cost a lot. I, I can't imagine Bogut costing a whole lot. You think they would just bail already on that? I, I just don't know if they have a choice come trade deadline time. I mean, what's the use in keeping Bogut when he's going to be a free agent this coming coming summer? Um, I think they should move him. To even even if all they got is a second-round pick, that second-round pick could turn out to be a good player for them or an additional asset that they could use in trades. I think they got to get a piece. Timberwolves? You know, I brought up uh, Levine, and people get mad when I bring up Zach <laughs> Levine. You know, but uh, if, if you're going to move somebody right off that Timberwolves team you know Thibodeau's gonna make a move right and I kind of like I, I don't know they've got some guys on their team it's it's obviously not working right and their record is is, is dismal Rubio would be would be one right think Rubio yeah. moves the needle I, I don't know it's I mean he's a better player than Rajon Rondo but it's kind of the same conversation uh, which which teams like which playoff teams really need a point guard? I mm-hmm. mean, it, it just go down the list. There's so many point guards in the NBA, so many good point guards. I ju- I just don't know which team you could look at and say they need to get Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio is going to be the difference maker for them. Like if Mike Conley were out, were still out, you could say the Grizzlies need a point guard, but Conley's back and he's killing it. Right. <laughs> I just maybe the the Kings, but I, 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 that's about the only team I can see. In the West, at least. That's an interesting the one. The Kings. Yeah, maybe them. But then again, what are they going to deal for him? And they have no shooting anyway. Yeah, that, so that just issue. makes it all all that much worse, yeah. right? Yeah. No, that's I'm, what I mean. It's just hard to find a good fit. Yeah, it is hard to find a good fit. Uh uh, and in terms of the Easter coverage, so those are the bottom three teams uh, in the West. In terms of the East, Dragic? Dragic I'd, could get moved. I'd move him. Uh, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, the, th- the thing is, it's like, how does Miami want to build? Um, well, they're going to tear... Uh, they're going to rebuild. They're just yeah, going to rebuild. I'm, I'm just intrigued if... I, I do wonder if Pat Riley views Dragic as one of the guys that he wants to keep as part of the core, or if he views him as a tradable piece to get a to get a better asset. Like if right. they could get if they could get a first for him and another young player, and then draft the point guard because this, this class is just loaded with point guards. Maybe that would be a better path for them. Even even if they did a player for player trade. Um, that's all. That's always the angle. I think sometimes it gets overlooked. Is if Miami were to trade Drogic for a wing or a forward, maybe that's the best uh, situation for them, as opposed to trading him for a, a lower pick. Yeah. Uh, all right, Philly. Uh, we've already broached that Okafor, right? If you're going to try to go and get something from Philadelphia, that would probably be the guy that they're going to move if they're going to move somebody. Yeah, definitely Okafor. All right, and then yeah. Brooklyn. Anything off there? I mean, God, they got nothing. I mean, that kid, that Kilpatrick, he's been he's been outstanding. But in terms of, I guess Brooke Lopez could finally get moved, right? I mean, what's the point anymore? It feels like his name's come up every year, but maybe this is the year that somebody takes on Brooke Lopez. Yes, I would. Again, same same thing, kind of with Phoenix. Is I think if I'm the Nets. I'd want to get a little bit younger and move uh, move Brook Lopez. Granted, they'd be even worse this year, uh, and it doesn't matter because they don't have their pick. I think they got to try to get another pick. They 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 have to try to get a second mid first round pick. So that way, with the Celtics pick that they'll receive from the swap. 
they would have like another, let's say, uh, number 15 for Brooke Lopez. You could package those two picks and move up, or you could draft two players who could be part of your future because they need to build with youth. And I don't view Brooke Lopez as one of the guys that should necessarily be part of their future for that matter. You think you get a one and some players for him? I think you could get a one for Brooke Lopez. I think the fact that he added the three-pointer this year and he's shooting it quite well, actually, makes yeah. him a little bit easier to fit um, off on another team. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right, let's get to the number three storyline. Who's going to be eighth in the West? Seems like seven are pretty solid with the Warriors, Spurs, Rockets, Jazz, Clippers, Grizzlies, Thunder. And then there's this eighth spot. And we got Sacramento, who's narrowly ahead of Portland and Denver. And then New Orleans is a game and a half back of of them. So you got those four. So if we throw out, if we say, okay, it's not going to be the Lakers, the T-Wolves, the Mavs, or the Suns. So you're talking about four teams. Kings, Blazers, Nuggets, Pelicans. I know. Uh, Hard, man. I still think I... I still probably lean towards the Blazers just because I think talent, the talent will rise at some point in the season. I think they have the best team on paper of those three. I want to say the Nuggets because I, I love their mix. I love Jokic. I think everybody loves Nikola Jokic. Um, but I, I just lean towards the Blazers, the Blazers at this stage, pending, pending there's no movement between those, those teams. I think I'm going to surprise you. I'd say Pelicans. There we go. Yeah, I would. I'd say Pelicans because you want to talk about the best player, Anthony I mean, Davis. That guy, if he's yeah. if he's uninjured, and you know, once you get Holiday back, right? And I guess they uh, they just gave a deal to Monte Yunus. I'm reading. Yeah. yeah, they've been really good. They just got a deal with Monte Yunus, though. That helps them, right? Yeah, got yeah, on a it, one it, year it, deal. So now you got Dante. I'm surprised about that. Monte Yunus yeah. is now going to be a Pelican. It doesn't, and, and there's not enough that can be said about just how good they've been ever since Drew Holiday returned. Yeah. He's he's elevated their play um, to another level, and he's he's a guy who's a free agent this summer. They'll have a hard choice between wanting to look other places or probably wanting to re-sign him. But right now, they're looking they're looking really good. Six and four in their last ten games, they've been really good. Yeah. Do you like Monte Yunus? Yeah, he's solid. Solid role player. He'll definitely help. I, I like him uh, as a theoretical fit next to Anthony Davis. Good floor spacer. Um, but I also I also like the guys that they've had. I thought I think Terrence Jones has played quite well for them. But I, but I do think it's a good addition and definitely will boost their chances. And, and at the least, it, it allows them to have a little bit more lineup flexibility with what they put out there, and that allow them to adapt to different types of teams that they face. All right, so I'm going. I'm going Pelicans. You're going. You're going Blazers. It sounded yes. reluctantly. Yeah, I'm going Blazers. All right. I'm, com- num- I'm confident in that. Number four, who the MVP is. Boy, this race is going to be unbelievable, right? We're now 33 like to 35 games into the season. Westbrook is averaging a tick under 31 points, 10.5 assists, and 10.4 rebounds. So he's averaging the triple-double. And he has a 30.1 PER. Right, and I went and looked this up. There have been 19 seasons where a guy had a 30 per. Right, as everybody knows, so an average NBA player player efficiency rating would be 15. So 30 is like one of the all-time great seasons. There's been 19 times it's been done. Uh, Four by Jordan, four by LeBron, three by Wilt Chamberlain, 
three by Shaq, and then each of these players did it one time. Anthony Davis, Steph Curry, David Robinson, Dwayne Wade, and Tracy McGrady. That's pretty unbelievable company, right? Mm -hmm. And right now, Westbrook's is 30.1. Now, on the other hand, you have this Harden year that's going, and he just ended off the year with that 53, 17, and 16 performance that he had, and he's averaging 28 points, like about 12 assists and 8 rebounds himself. I feel like you're going to say Harden. Yep. James Harden, Chris. Yes, sir. Uh, He was my pick before the year, and he still is now. And in some ways, he's been better than I thought he would be, uh, primarily because of his efficiency. And his efficiency as a scorer is kind of the differentiator for me with him over Westbrook. I mean, you mentioned his volume numbers 28, 12, and 8 or so. Um, Those are incredible. But there's not a lot of guys in league history who have done that while being as efficient as he's been as a scorer. Um, in the article on The Ringer that was published today, I, I put a stat out there that said with his 53 effective field goal percentage, the only guys who have even come close to those stats, so we're talking about a threshold of, num- of numbers, are over 20 points per game, over assist eight, eight, eight assists per game, over five rebounds per game, with an effective field goal percentage over 52. The only guys who have ever done that um, are Chris Paul, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, who did it three times, LeBron James, who did it once and is doing it this year, and then James Harden, who's doing it this year. So he's having one of the best volume stats seasons ever, but he's doing it while remaining supremely efficient as a scorer. And that's just kind of the difference for me between him and Westbrook. Westbrook, unbelievable season. He's obviously a top three, top five MVP candidate. But what Harden's doing is just unbelievable to watch and that game he had last last week on New Year's Eve the 53 point game that just felt like it snuck up on me when I, when I was watching the game at Toyota Center you know you look at the look at the scoreboard in the third quarter and you're like holy shit like this dude has a chance to do something crazy and like I pulled up basketball reference and like put like 50 points whatever he had at the time and I was like oh my god nobody's done this um, ever since <laughs> You know, their database goes back. And obviously, the stat that's out there now is it's the most points anybody's had in a tri- triple double since Wilt, Wilt Chamberlain. That's unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. You, know, you know, Westbrook's got to be sitting around like, you know what? <laughs> Screw this. I'm yeah. averaging 30, 10, and 10. And yep. people, and, 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 and somehow I'm not people's pick for the MVP. But it just goes to show me, like, you got these, you know, two just absurd seasons going on simultaneously. It's awesome. Right? It really is awesome. And by the way, nobody's even talking about the two, the guy that's won it the last two years. He's not even on the radar for it. Yeah. And who most people, I think, would say is the best player in the world, LeBron. Yeah. It's crazy. But, that, that, that's, uh, that was the conversation I had before the game the other day with... Um, Two Rockets writers, Calvin Watkins from ESPN and and MJ uh, MK, sorry, uh, who the hell that I, I escapes me at the moment. But we talked about that. Like we were, we were talking about all these other players, and then like it's like, what about LeBron? 
Yeah, right. What about LeBron? I mean, nobody's talking about LeBron, and and I mentioned this, that stat earlier. LeBron's the other guy who's doing that. It's it, it's pretty wild, man. The MVP race this this year is just crazy. Well, and I told you, uh, you know, I I went when I pulled those numbers uh, long ago about MVPs and. They were just, they're just all outside of that one off Jordan year. They're all come from one or two seats, right? Mm-hmm. Your team, their team was either one or two. So if we go back, I will say, Kevin, it's all lining up for you because I asked you earlier who would be the two seed and you think Houston's going to get there. And if you think Harden's going to be the MVP, that would all line up. If, 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 if history tells us that the MVP comes from a one or two seed, then your whole. Rockets love and this James Harden MVP <laughs> thing has got uh, it's got some legs to it at least right now. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. I mean, I think that that's that's the other argument. And I think that that's something people will make is that Houston has a better team than Oklahoma City, or they'll say Golden State or San Antonio has a better team. I think that'll be a common argument you see against Westbrook. And whether that's fair or not, I would say it's not fair. Personally, I think that is an argument that people are going to be make be making against Westbrook and and like. I, I don't want to ramble, but I just look back at the 2004 Cy Young in baseball when when Randy Johnson lost to Roger Clemens. The only only reason Roger Clemens won is because he had like 23 wins that year to Randy Johnson having like 11, an 11 and 10 record or something. But but Randy Johnson was better in every single st- statistical category at the time. So I think the wins argument is unfair if that's what people are going to use against Westbrook, but. I just think the efficiency categories are still what he he loses in compared to the other guys. Yeah, and you and you were talking about it. You, when you gave those numbers about the true field goal percentage. I mean, it's historic stuff that Harden's doing likewise, right? I mean, like yeah. this, is, this is one of the great all-time seasons that's going on right now. All right, last one for the five storylines. Who gets fired? Ugh. <laughs> This is a who, tough would you, one. who would you bank uh, on right now? All right, here, let's do a little. Like, like right, you're talking right now, today. Who would I fire? No, I'm saying. All right, let's let's. Who is the first coach gone from this point on? I'll uh, say. Hold on. Okay. Look here. I haven't thought this through very much. <laughs> well, I, um, I have one. Then while you're looking. Oh really? I I think Fred Hoiberg. Even though I don't think he should be fired. I just think I think I think with him that just where there's smoke there's fire. I think he's going to be the scapegoat. I don't think it's right. I don't think he should be fired. I still think he's a good coach. I just think he's been dealt a really 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 awful hand. The pieces he's been given are the opposite of what should work on his system. And I know it's the responsibility of the coach to use the players he has in the system that and and tailor his system towards the players. But come on, come on! Like he the players he was given are not built at all for modern NBA basketball. And I, I just think it'll be disappointing if he is let go. I he's like he looks like I'm looking up and down this. He looks like the only one to me. I agree. I agree. There's really not. Like look at all the bad teams. Like Eric Spolcher's not gonna get fired. Burt Brown's not gonna get fired. Kenny Atkinson's not gonna get fired. I don't think anybody from the bad teams is gonna get fired. Rick Carlisle's not gonna get fired. So it just had to be somebody that's not living up to expectations. Yeah, maybe Earl Watson with Phoenix Suns. Maybe him. How about Budenholzer? I don't think so. That sounds no crazy, right? Nah, but I don't. I don't think so. I'm I, just I, saying a, a team. It's usually a team that even if the even if the the management is goofy, right? The in thinking that their team should be better. When we look up and we say, "All right, who did we think is going to be better than what they actually 
are performing. Therefore, therefore the blame game happens, right? Because the owner walks in and he goes, why are we friggin' 500? And then the GM goes, because our coach is an asshole. And the the coach goes, because our GM's an asshole. Like somebody, Somebody ends up taking the knife for it. I think the other one's Nate McMillan, Indiana Pacers. They've they've really failed oh. to meet expectations. I think I, I'd say they're around where a lot of people thought they would be, but there was also people who viewed them as like a two or three seed. Um, he just seems like another potential candidate. Really, really though, there aren't many, at least at this stage of the season. Well, listen, the t- the the team in the West that's the one not living up to what everybody thought is just it's clearly Minnesota by a wide margin. Yeah. I don't think I don't think there's anybody else. Maybe Gentry. My, my playoff if it, pick. <laughs> if it went the wrong way, maybe Gentry, because they got a goofy franchise, and I I don't know if he should be the one take the sword. But honestly, if they don't make the playoffs, Gentry doesn't make it, right? I don't know. I, I I don't. I think it would be unfair to let him go. I just think some of these coaches deserve more 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 time and more opportunity. Like I mentioned with Hoiberg, can he? Can anybody really blame him for the team's lack of success or their their just averageness? I I just think I just think there's no argument to be made that it's his fault. It comes from the players that were acquired for him it comes from garpax in the front office uh it's i I, even then i think the argument could could be made that they shouldn't even be fired but if there's anybody that you're gonna let go i don't think it should be hoiberg i think he's a good coach but but the issue is and like this is another problem like like if a team fires the gm right the the new gm that they bring in usually wants his guy as coach so it's it's a tough situation uh, for a team like that with the Bulls. Like if ownership feels Hoiberg is a guy that they want to keep, the new GM might not feel that way. No. Um, but, but but I view Hoiberg as a guy that they should keep, and I I think with the right players, with the right personnel fit, he's a good coach. The longest tenured guys, you know, outside of Popovich is obviously the the longest tenured, but the the other guys are Carlisle, Stotts, Doc. Right, there's a Do- guy. Doc isn't going to fire himself. <laughs> Maybe he should fire fire himself as general manager, but he's not going to fire himself as coach. No, but what about what, what about what about Stotts or? Uh, nah. Yeah, but Balmer could rock. Uh, Balmer could roll him. Balmer, yeah, sp- no, nah, he's, so. he's spent billions of dollars for God's no sake. But what about the all right? What about Stotts or uh, Carlisle? Ain't going to get fired. I I think with the Clippers, things would have to go really wrong this year. Like they would have to lose Chris Paul and Blake the free agency and not sign anybody uh, for, for Ballmer to look at that situation and say, "See you later, Doc." Uh, I just I just don't see it unless it goes really wrong for them, and it could. It, it could. They're three and seven in their last ten. It, it won't happen during the during the season though. It would be like a summer firing. How about Stotts? I don't think so. I, I think he's been too good for too long. I, I think this season's more of a blip for them than anything else. And then Carlisle, we say no. Yeah, no way. He'll make it through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so it looks like Hoiberg might be the one. And then I threw out maybe maybe Gentry or a Budenholzer. I don't know. I don't know. You just never know. Listen, guys get fired. It's hard to make it even three years with a job in the league. So, And guys get fired out of nowhere for all mm-hmm. manner of reasons. Guys yeah. resign out of nowhere, too. Yeah, guys do resign out of nowhere for uh, for different reasons also. Kevin O'Connor, you the man. Everybody go check out Kevin's article uh, inside Daryl Morey, Mike D'Antoni, and, uh, and James Harden and everything that's going on with the Rockets. And we will catch up soon. Thanks, brother. Thank you, Chris.
Thanks for listening to another edition of the Ringer NBA show. If you dig what you're hearing, head over to iTunes, give us a rating and review, and we'll talk to you all on Thursday.